Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the DestroProds.com anime and manga podcast. As always, I'm your host, the Dead Man. Over today, we have Cora. Hello. Hey, I'm Birdie. Hey, I'm back. <laughs> welcome back. All right, you weren't here last week. I forgot about that. I'm on so many of your other shows, you forget the ones I'm not on. These podcasts end up fucking meshing together at some point. Like fucking movies, TV, you used to, like, what, 10 minutes talking about Inuyasha? (laughs) You did? That is true. Okay. Uh, I get the feeling... Oh, I do remember the reason. A uh, female character in Ninjago was also the voice of Shippo. Okay. Yeah. That that was a sad aside. I mean, it's one thing for us to get off topic. It's another thing for us to get off topic on fucking Inuyasha. <laughs> anyway. Hey, we've called a truce in this war to murder a bunch of innocent civilians together. As friends. <laughs> Jesus. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry. So pretty. Well, actually, uh, I actually have to thank Core for that, because that's actually the right note to lead off on what I want to talk about first, because I kind of have to ask the question that, why is it that so many... Anime and manga that are popular in the West are either bland, just terrible, or botch it in the ending. <laughs> because you have the just flat-out terrible shit like SAO, which people still like, and there's a new movie coming out next, I think next week or the week after. I keep getting ads for that. Um, then there's the shit like Inuyasha or Naruto, which isn't really bad, it's just bland. And then there's what I want to talk about, which was something I was actually enjoying for a while. And now it can go fuck itself. High School of the Dead? <laughs> How did you know? <laughs> See, I know the answer. I had to yeah. like hurry up and yeah, stretch so my brain for some alternative. <laughs> so, yeah, Psychopaths um, again. Let's talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually, I actually would have to think about which has a dumber ending. Oh, wow. Okay, so Attack on Titan. Oh, you know, and it's funny you mentioned that, Deadman, because I think on the very first anime show I ever did with you, uh, with the guy who was here first, I mentioned two popular series that annoy me, and they were Psychopaths and Attack on Titan, and yours and his response when I mentioned Attack on Titan, uh, well, it's okay, so what else do you want to talk about? <laughs> it's like, dude, it's too popular, leave it the fuck alone. You <laughs> <laughs> cut but out there yeah, for like, um, t- like five seconds. Like, have you seen their fans? They're like just huge, giant man babies with no genitals, they will devour you. No, that's Dark Souls fans. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, um, okay, so I liked, I, unlike Korra, when the first season of the anime aired, I had not read any of the manga, and I enjoyed this first season for the most part. I had some problems with it that, upon going back to the manga, I discovered were problems with adaptation, 
like devoting two or three episodes to a storyline that took literally ten pages in the manga. To the point where I was like, oh, for fuck's sake, move it along! Yeah, they got lost in the woods for a bit. (laughs) (laughs) And also the weird decision to devote an entire episode to people discussing who the female Titan is after they had spent, after they had ended the last episode revealing who the female Titan is. I don't think they spent the entire episode on that. Oh, wait, no, maybe they did spend most of it. Yep. Trying to remember the setup. Like they Because I know to... they did spend like a bit a decent amount of time with Annie and her No, that was the episode where they revealed it because they had they were following her around the Capitol. Yeah, that and... yeah, that was the episode before, and then after that they cut back to everyone saying, I think she's the female Titan. Yeah, but I d- felt like that. That second part wasn't a full episode. It was a sizable portion. It was presented in an order that didn't really work to the benefit of the show. It was because they wanted to have a little shock moment. I was just saying, I don't know that they wasted too much time on it, but they did waste some time on it. Yeah, and again, but so all those problems are more with adaptation than really with the narrative and the characters, although I always kind of hated Aaron, but. Yeah, a lot of people do. Yep. But the problem I saw with the narrative potentially going forward is that this is a problem a lot of writers that's lazy writers or overambitious writers get into where they have a great setup and a great premise and it involves a lot of mystery, but they hadn't worked out what the answer to the mystery was when they started writing it. So they just snowball it until they have to come up with something. And usually when that happens, you either get either an answer that's so lame that you're like, we wasted all this time waiting for that, or, in the case of Attack on Titan, something so phenomenally stupid that I'm just like, oh, oh, you're so, oh, oh. So before we go into that. Yeah. How uh, how far are you in it? Attack on Titan? Yeah. 91. Most recent chapter. Okay. So he is probably thirty pa- uh, thirty chapters past where I am, or oh, so. Oh, then I should fuck. I can't say anything then, but because if you still care, if you want to read to where it reveals this, then I'm I won't spoil it for you. But it's just oh fuck me. Yeah, I I'm where you <laughs> are, Bertie. I know what. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is it is weird. It is really okay, weird. So I've uh, fuck. Okay, so I can talk about some tiny things that annoy me about recent revelations. Uh, I won't talk about the big thing because that would constitute a major spoiler. But Fairly huge. World's changing, yeah. in fact. Yeah, and by world's changing, it's basically you've altered the dynamic so badly that you've completely missed the point of the story of where you started, which... Uh, so we're talking bad Shyamalan twist. Oh, actually, yes, exactly. Oh, actually, fuck, that's actually very That accurate. is exactly, fuck, yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah, so... Did this I, turn into the village? Holy shit, he called it. <laughs> <laughs> it did, it totally yeah. did, it totally did. Yep. And the Titans 
like the like not the the transforming titans, the ones that we that we've seen since the beginning, other than the big weird looking ones. They're just okay. So there is a a multinational army attempting to invade the country that we have been following. And they use uh, prisoners and failed soldiers and turn them into mindless titans to eat people. Okay. And they have are they've grown they in the past hundred years they've both sides have ceased to believe that there is anyone actually human on the other side. And here's another and for. It, in terms of, I sometimes find in even in series I like that they have these narrative or literary references that just annoy the fuck out of me. Like I like Life is Strange, but it annoyed the shit out of me when I realized that the main character, a uh, whiny emo, emo hipster, was named Mac, Max Caulfield. Ah, fuck! I just got that. Yeah, I, I didn't get it at the time because I forgot that the main characters name in that game uh the in the in catcher in the rye was holden caulfield oh fuck that kid the, i fuck can that book that as a reference i can let that slide the last name is not exactly bizarre so no it's it, not but yeah, still fuck that book dis- it, yeah but it didn't distract me yeah but it's or but like how um the invading army that's using Titans to invade the nation of our main characters. Uh, they call them the people of Emir, which in Norse mythology is the head of the frost giants. <laughs> yeah. And it could have been worse. They could have just named the island Jotunheim. <sighs> yeah. And so, yeah, they turned what was a series about, a repressive government keeping its power of suppression based on the idea of fear of what's outside the wall into a very poorly handled war- World War II allegory. Yeah, so just so I'm sure, like, I am where Birdie is, but I have been kind of barely paying attention while reading those chapters. We're just kind of going going along at, on, like, momentum now. Uh... But so... It was, it was like these a country um, was fucking over these people of Emir and like turning them into titans and shit and like forcing them to kill their friends, family, whatever on this island. And then like a resistance faction in there got the ability to control the titan powers, turned out like fuck like got that other army to, like fuck off and leave the island but then built the walls and p- kept everybody in them to keep them safe from the people outside the walls and erase their memories yeah they had a random titan whose power is specifically erase the the memories of humans and they can apparently just give that those memories back or take them away at will if you have control of this titan yeah and it was and it was real fucking um, weird, like like when, like when they when they learned that and then revealed that to the world, like well to their world inside the walls. There was nothing. There was fucking no real reaction or consequence to that happening. Like yeah, it, it, well, it was it was, it was fucking text. Like some people were like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Other people were like, nah. And some people were like, eh, maybe. Moving on. Yeah, but but that's because it feels so out. It, I can almost have trouble imagining. 
a, like a sim a a believable human reaction from this revelation because it is so far out of left field. It's basically into space, dude. If if there was a reaction. There wasn't a reaction. It was a panel of people yeah. in a bar and then moving on. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you it, that in addition to it being just flat out stupid, they focused on it so little they might as well not have done it. And I actually would have preferred if they hadn't done it because at this point, other than like a couple of key main characters, I don't give a shit about anybody. Yeah, and now we're getting even. Now we're getting people we give even less of a shit about in that they are spending some time outside of the island on the people in the middle of the war. Yeah, and you've got this problem of uh... okay. I mean, I got the from the from the episode from the from the the comic I had read up to that point. The human titans, like the the traitors who had used titan powers, I got the impression that they were working for something. And, like, that was sort of like, this is all we have left of humanity. Humanity should not be repressed for the sake of the one ruling authority. But if if they're okay with just a army of essentially walking bioweapons killing everybody, then I can't root for them, and I can't root for the government of the people that we're repressing all these humans and started this war to begin with. So I'm just like, fuck all of you. <laughs> yeah. I, I was, I was afraid this might happen where like the writer ran into the problem of, I have no idea how to tie all these disparate mysterious points I've brought up together into a coherent whole. And usually when that happens, they fuck it up in the landing. <laughs> I think it's fair to say that he might have actually had this planned from the beginning. I'm not saying that I thought it was well it sounds well implemented or anything, but the fact that this doesn't surprise me in the slightest and in fact when left when I made the point of this is the village, isn't it? It's because it's something I had considered previously. Now, obviously, the intricacies of it were things that I hadn't necessarily guessed at or anticipated, but I think it's more sloppy execution, probably, than saying he didn't have any idea where he was going with this. Yeah, but even if he knew where he was going with this, I feel like it's always kind of a lazy cop-out from Japanese writers to just say, World War Two metaphor. Mm. Yeah, because it is all, it is very much the people from fucking, the people, like people of Amir or whatever, uh, they have to walk around with like gold stars stitched to their chest or something. Yeah. Because, you know, they're really subtle. Yeah. Yeah, like I know, and, and, and as in terms of another series that I was watching and that Cora and I agree is really good. Japan's a little better about talking about World War One than World War Two, mainly because they don't have the same hang-ups about that war because they basically won the parts of that war they fought and have no... It's like, no, we're not racist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and to be fair, World War One was less of a... 
two powers with heavily divided outlooks on the world clashing and more of a worldwide clusterfuck. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So it's easier to avoid the moral hiccups of World War Two when you're like World War One does not offer those same roadblocks when it comes to constructing a narrative around that sort of setup. Yeah. But yeah, um, I... God, this was so badly timed, because I was actually kind of looking forward to the second season of the anime, and then this shit happens. It's like, I always hate when... I almost was happy with the first season where I didn't know what was going to happen, and while I could complain about like poor pacing or odd narrative construction decisions... I could like be genuinely surprised by things that were happening or enjoy the narrative as it played out without any foreknowledge to color my indications. But now, but knowing that this is where it's going, I'm like, Oh fuck. I'm just going to, it would be, it would be hollow. Like I could enjoy the fight scenes. Like I know they're really playing up the fight between Aaron and the armored Titan. Which, yeah, I mean, Aaron fighting the other big titans was always one of the draws of the series, but it's I guess Godzilla must be the only example of where you can make a giant monster series a war allegory and not have it be stupid. As someone who's watched Godzilla's Revenge, I can agree with that statement. <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> Well, I'm just arguing that uh look, I'm a giant Godzilla, Godzilla is fan not could... <laughs> not without its uh stumbling points. Yeah, I got to say original... that 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 time when Godzilla took the fucking 98 Godzilla and chucked him into that fucking Sydney building, I was like, "Yeah, this is a really good allegory for World War II." Fair. Also, yeah, that like, also in yeah, terms that, of like the oh, original yeah, son of Godzilla, that motherfucker is <laughs> A perfect allegory for actually Tibet, no I I, okay dead man I will uh, actually defend that as being an excellent uh, substitute for war atrocities. <laughs> okay, yeah, fair. That <laughs> Mil- my, or whatever the fuck his name is was, is like the fucking embodiment of concentration camps. Uh, my main point was just to argue that while the first Godzilla is fine that's not a franchise that necessarily has the greatest batting record either uh and it never had to try and construct an extended narrative like this so the comparison i'm not even i'm not even defending attack on time when i say this i just said just saying i don't know that the comparison holds up but, but I will say, but I will say this as a final thing for Godzilla. They did do a great job of capturing like the fear and confusion that you see, like 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 the people might must have felt when they saw the planes flying overhead to drop the bombs when Godzilla learns to fly using his breath. <laughs> that would confuse people <laughs> and possibly scare them. I mean, it's a giant fucking lizard who's just fucking flying by mouth farting. Thing is, I don't remember the reaction being like fear. I remember it being. Well, that was fucking weird. <laughs> I meant for the people in the world. For us to be like, what the fuck? I'm talking about the people in the world. I remember them constantly cutting back to that same goddamn reaction shot. I don't. 
Uh, it's that single time in the commentary where every time they cut back, I respond, well, that was fucking weird. <laughs> anyway, uh, enough clumsily making fun of horrible tragedies throughout the world. Yeah. Let's continue doing but, that. Yeah, I... Uh... Yeah, Attack on Titan is... I guess if I was being fair, I would say it was overambitious. Because even if... I could maybe see how you could make this work, but not the way he constructed this narrative. So everybody get hyped for season two coming this April. I'm actually a bit curious as to how they'll handle this, because sometimes adaptations will try and smooth over problems. And season one obviously had pacing issues because it was trying to end at a very particular point. But I'm wondering if, as they move forward, they might actually try and do a better job with this narrative. And if so, what they might try to do. Not saying I think they'll succeed, just curious to see how they'll try and handle it. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it's probably going to look good because the first series had enough of a budget and that was before it was a monster hit and a cultural icon. So this one's going to have an even bigger budget. Maybe it'll be a double fake out. Like like the end of the first season, like the wall began to collapse. We saw the Titans inside. What if then that Titan collapses and we see something else inside? It's like, oh yeah, the walls are made of Titans. Then it fucking collapses and we see like the keyboard elves inside. Turns out the Titan formula is made by trees. (laughs) <laughs> yeah just it's, it's, it's they're not surrounded by a wall of stone they're surrounded by a wall of fucking birches or just uh stacked crippled versions of samuel jackson <laughs> if we're gonna keep borrowing stuff from Shyamalan, <laughs> yeah it was the wall that blew up the train a wall would blow up a train if a train ran into it. Yeah. See, it is logical. Yeah, the wall's, the wall's chasing after Aaron, then falls and cl- breaks every bone in his body. <sighs> that would just be yeah. really dumb. Just all of a sudden, all three walls just like completely like go, like raise up in the air over to one side. So they're just like giant concentric circles and just all collapse. We'll say this. Upon you guys saying that it's a Shyamalan twist, there weren't really many other directions my brain could have gone other than the village. No, man, the walls were dead the entire time. Well, you could argue that maybe the characters were all in purgatory, but I didn't expect this to be pulling an angel angel beats on us. Bruce Willis showed up at the end and it was revealed that it was actually just a low-key sequel to Unbreakable. Spoilers for Split. I guess if it turned out uh, that you could argue that aliens would be a possible twist that could have hypothetically sort of worked. It was revealed that Shyamalan probably wasn't the best choice to direct an adaptation of Avatar The Last Airbender. Yeah. What a twist. I just... I, I never like it when a series I think has a lot of great potential and a lot of good things going for it botches it this badly in the execution. So that just kind of made me sad mm. and a little angry. But yeah. 
Okay, so I guess I'll quickly move past this, and since Cora and I have talked about it enough. Uh, Akka is very pretty, sounds very nice, but doesn't work. <laughs> I'm enjoying it. Yep, good for you. <laughs> like, it's it's played most of its cards, and I still don't really care. <laughs> Okay, I'm. I like how they're building up the intrigue. I still like the characters. So, I mean, I like the characters. I just don't see how you can get any drama out of these characters. Everyone is so low key and unemotional about almost everything that it's difficult to imagine. Like the main character has the same reaction to finding out he's of royal blood. And that his friend has been spying on him since he was basically a, ch- a small child. And that his sister's favorite chocolate bread is out of stock. Uh. And actually, his, in the most recent episode, his sister really annoyed me. Because she kept doing stuff like, what? Someone might kidnap me? Really? Mm. Like, I, d- I, d- I knew she was kind of a... a, a a fluff head as a character, but I didn't think she was dumb. And they just seemed to go out of the way to make her make the dumbest possible decisions. And between that and the low-key tone of everything, I just, I'm having trouble building up a sense of tension. I don't know. I, I, I'm excited to see where it's going. I'm curious, I guess, but that's about it. <laughs> like, it's... And I really liked the flashback episode. Yeah, it was good. I, like, I was emotionally invested in that. I thought it was well done. I can't really say I was emotionally invested. Hmm. <laughs> like, it's... It, it's so... Everything about this in terms of, like, its narrative... Its its directorial style, its art style, its its the style of the music, all it all works for what it does... But what it doesn't work is trying to build a sense of narrative tension in this style. Because it's basically like you're sitting in a, a comfortable club and like with nice chairs and warm drink, good uh, some, like nice soft jazz music, and then the singer just comes on and says, Yeah, we're uh, planning a uh, coup against the government because the royalty is kind of fuck-ups. And we're afraid that if the new guy comes in, he might script off our power, so we kind of need to stop that, but y'all don't really care. Bertie, you have me sold on this series. You don't have to continue. (laughs) And you know that even if you think about say that, some fucker in the back with a fedora would just be like, oh yeah, that's my jam. Like, in all honesty, that sounds, you really kind of, it's like, wow, I didn't know he could sell me on the series again. (laughs) And I still haven't watched it. That sounds like a cool aesthetic, a cool approach. I <laughs> It amuses me how interesting I found that <laughs> metaphor that you're trying to show me, used to show me why you weren't engaged by it's a backfire, it. It's backfiring, Bertie. Abort. Abort. <laughs> I kind of figured that might happen because... We can't have another one-hour discussion been- about this show. Cor and I have been going back and forth, and everything he seems to like, I don't. So, like, every, it, 
and it doesn't help that I've seen all the plot twists coming, so I'm just like, okay. <laughs> like, I was generally shocked when you said he didn't see the twist of the nature of the main character's origins coming. And I was like, oh my god, they've been setting that up since the the ending of the first episode. It's going to be really interesting oh, yeah. when you guys learn that it's all actually taking place how. in modern day. Uh, I don't recall how they were setting it up at the end of the first episode. No. The ending sequence is John's mother. Oh. I don't tend to watch ending sequences that much. So, I only took a glance at it once because you told me that it was in no way like the opening to uh, to Gankutsu, and I took a second look at some of the uh, artistic styling of it, and was like, no, that's very Gankutsu-esque. I don't see it, but again, you and I seem to not be seeing eye to eye on this particular series much. So, the sort of choppy uh, pencil-based animation and the color aesthetic, uh, that sort of beige shading, that all very much artistically resembles the opening to Gankutsuo to me. Mm. But yeah, uh, I'm not really enjoying it that much. So I'll see it to the end, but I don't see it getting more than like maybe a five or a six. Oh, Jesus. Okay, then. Yeah. Yeah. Out of 10, I'm leaning towards about an eight, but. Mm. Boredom takes a lot off. <laughs> uh, I haven't been bored watching it. So. <sighs> it, it can be very pretty, but if I'm bored, I'm like, I can't give you that higher rating. <laughs> okay. Alright, so let's get through the rest of these relatively quick. Well, I guess I, the other thing you and I have both watched and I started watching, and it was probably a bad idea to watch this series while I was also watching Akka, because it reinforced to me why I don't like Akka. But Scrap Princess so far is really good. And the reason I feel that this series sort of reinforces to me why I don't like Akka is that more than like a well-constructed plot or narratively dense characters, what matters to me is clear motivation. And when you compare the main characters of Akka and Scrap Princess, it's very clear which one, which one has a sense of motivation. Like, I have no idea what motivates the main character in Akka. And that's not true for uh, Scrapped Princess. So do you know anything about this series, Deadman? I know that it's called Scrapped Princess. All right. So um, For kind of silly reasons, actually. Yeah, it's a rather pointlessly specific term. So Yeah, uh, they they picked the word scrapped, which really doesn't apply to the context no it's a little distracting um, actually yeah so uh the main character's name is pacifica and she was the child of the king of the king and queen but voice of nathan fillion obviously but the voice uh not, not the voice uh the 
the god of their religion revealed to their church that this girl would be the poison that would destroy the world and ordered a knight to toss her off a cliff. And by all indications, she seems to have survived the experience of being tossed off a cliff, I think. Because it's, it's a little vague whether or not the knight in question tossed her off a cliff and then found out she was alive later, or if he just refused and sent her somewhere less... Well, he thought system. she was dead, so I'm guessing that he did actually throw her off the cliff. Okay, yeah. That's She's a Mishima. Towards, but yeah, considering she was just a tiny little baby and he dropped her, like, it looked like 50 to 100 feet, I was kind of surprised he survived that, but eh. Well, magic, and yeah. they mentioned that their father saved her. Yeah. Plus, the Mishima family always survives being thrown off cliffs, dude. Come on. Heihachi has never killed one of his kids throwing him off a cliff. I'm not sure Rollins and Cora is going to get that reference. <laughs> These are Tekken jokes. <laughs> Fucking pandas. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, Hachi fucking fought that bear, and then the bear learned to fight. Yeah. So, uh, vengeance. For the last 15 years, uh, Pacific has been Jin. living as the adopted daughter of the Kasul family with her older siblings, uh, Raquel and Shannon. Shannon being the guy, played by, uh, Crispin Freeman. And, uh, Crispin Freeman is kind of fun in this because although he's a very talented, diverse voice actor, usually when you get him, he plays one of three modes. He's either playing Togusa from uh, Grant Ghost in the Shell, uh, Alucard from Helsing, or Kion from Haruhi Suzumiya. And in this, he's sort of playing a combination of Togusa and Kion. So, like, he's like the very serious, stoic knight, but then. He'll say he'll he'll have these reactions or say shit like when his sister says "I love you, big brother." She's like, "Yeah, I knew that already," and he's just kind of exasperated with everything, which is kind of amusing. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna. I, I was having this discussion with Cora last night that I thought this some elements of this kind of reminded me of the Kion Harhi dynamic, but it's not the same voice actress playing. Uh, Pacifica that plays Harhi, so it's not quite the same. But yeah, so Shannon is the, is a swordsman, and Raquel is a ridiculously powerful wizard. Because the the way they show magic in this world is that they kind of show like magical circuitry concentrating to a single point to activate some sort of magical effect, and it usually takes the time of like a long spell chant. She does them almost instantaneously. <laughs> To the point where in the first episode, when this guy keeps trying to summon lightning, she's like, yeah, blow up. What? You can't, yeah, blow up. <laughs> and eventually he gets, she she thinks he's, he's insulted that she's not trying hard enough. And so she's like, oh, okay, I'll try something a little bigger and just summons a huge amount of lightning down and destroys the entire building. Okay, then. Yeah. Although that's not, to me, in terms of how powerful I've seen her be so far, that's not the funniest bit. The funniest bit was when this assassin that utilizes these mechanical bugs as, like, servants poisons Pacifica, and he uses the base, the only place where you can get an antidote for the poison as his base, and he summons all these bugs to attack the attack Raquel, 
and she puts up a defensive barrier and he's like, you have to drop that barrier eventually. Why don't you either surrender or die? And she's like, no, I don't have to drop the barrier. So she just makes it bigger until it encompasses the entire room and smushes him against it, the side of the wall. And she's like, so you can either surrender or I can just keep pushing until you're paced against the wall. I know that I know that this isn't a thing, but in my head, when you're describing this, I'm just seeing Pacific and Northwest. Understandable. Yeah. And t- to a certain extent, while they're not the same kind level of bratty, there is a, a certain degree of like that kind of standoffish prissiness to yeah. both characters. So I, I, can was, I was just thinking that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, and so Raquel and Shannon are really powerful, except for the fact that, uh, they are no, they are basically powerless against, um, what do they call those things? The, the things that look like angelic reapers. Uh, I forget off the top of my head. Yeah, but it's the uh, essentially like demigod level power, like harbingers of this god that wants her dead. They basically can mind control infinitely any any human that they order under their command, and it's impossible to really fight against it. Pacifica's only immune because she's the scrapped princess, as far as we can tell. Though she can... Uh repulse its control from others. Yeah, but she can't really defeat them. Like, the first time she encounters one of these things, it creates a slimy tentacle horror that eats most of a town. Yeah. Ah, of course it does. And as a dragoon, her brother gains the ability to uh, repel those abilities, at least to some extent. Throughout the the first few episodes, this... this, uh, blue-haired chick keeps popping up out of nowhere and giving, you know, uh, cryptic, mystic advice and stuff. Turns out she's like the spirit remains of a dragon, and she contracts herself with Pacifica's brother, turning him into a a D-knight, I believe was the actual term. And so he keeps saying, so you're a knight of the D. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, (laughs) that's one element that doesn't translate very well. Nope. But, yeah, it's been implied based on, like, the first, like, third of the series, I think, or so. That's as much as I've seen. Yeah. That the dragons were the emissaries to another god, essentially. What they refer... uh, I forget the name of the uh, the evil god, but the the primary god is Mouser. Uh, I think it's like and, Growl. I think it's actually actually I think it's Broly or something similar. Something like that, but it's revealed that he commanded dragons, and so the dragon serve as a counterpoint to the weird mind controlling entities. Yeah, the reason for the term scrapped princess is because they threw the princess away and thus scrapped her. Because yeah, that's that, how that, language that, that works. just unnecessary. <laughs> that, just, that just stinks to me of they wrote the title for this series and had to figure out a way to make it work in the story. 
Yeah. I, like, I, I, I do, I, I get where they're coming from because you do have, you want to have those terms that stand out. Scrapped princess is a term that does stand out. It has a good you, juxtaposition yeah. and juxtaposition is very good for creating those memorable terms like, you know, clockwork orange or to a lesser extent, full metal alchemist, things yeah. like that. But yeah, the logic here really kind of falls a little flat because you don't scrap organic things. Yeah. It's not yeah, like if word it, works. Yeah, like if it was if this was say a princess made of other princesses. I could kind of see that. Like a princess made of scrapped people because like but when I think scrapped I think this was destroyed and taken apart so that its part could be used for something else. Mm. Yeah. I know, I know that doesn't really, I know that might not work for everybody, but for me, that is what I think of when I think scrap, because, you know, scrap metal. Yes, but generally scrap refers to inorganic matter that has been disposed of. So make it a fucking robot, I don't know. That's a thing, magic robots? <laughs> From a n- naming standpoint, I was thinking that would make more sense. But yeah, it's one of those things where, in passing, I can accept the use of the term Scrap Princess, but whenever they, like, hint at the reason that she's called that, it's like, that 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 bugs me. And yeah. it, it does get brought up on rare occasions. Like, the princess that was scrapped, you know, 15 years ago? And it's like, that's it's not how words work. <laughs> But it sounds cool. But yeah, show's enjoyable. Yeah, I'm enjoying it so far. I'm glad I picked it up. I like I like the aesthetics. It holds up pretty well, considering it is. This is actually as old as uh, Gurren Logan. It came out in 2007, but it was one of those series that, after its initial release, was just lost to the distributor dustbin of no one wants to distribute this for some reason. So. I'll be perfectly honest, I'm surprised it's that new. Uh, I thought it was older than that. Because, uh, I'm not going to say it doesn't hold up, it's just visually I thought this would be more like 2003. Yeah, I think it, I think it's sort of... 2007 was kind of a transition year in terms of how a lot of anime looked. Where after 2007, stuff started looking more moe and and deformed and less of these sort of like rigid structures and very, very anime hair. I suppose. But yeah, I'm still enjoying it. I, uh... I'm gonna keep watching it. 2003, I fucking called it! Okay, maybe that was when it was... Okay. That, I was uh, like... Sorry, that was bugging me. I'm like... I, I think um, the the original DVD release was in 2007. That might be what I was okay. thinking of in terms of, like, the massive collection. But... <laughs> like, I, I, and I didn't mean to be cutting you off or being argumentative, but I was just in the back of my head, I was like, there's no fucking way. <laughs> okay. Like, no, and it holds up very well in that regard. I would have expected something 
slightly more polished from 2007, which was why I, I kind of was doubting that. Like, I think, uh, like, Devil May Cry came from 2007, and while this has a much better aesthetic, better design and everything, Devil May Cry is the more polished series, simply because of improved technology and digital animation techniques and things like that. So that's what I was, it was less about the aesthetic and more just about the general animation. The theme song uh, was done by the Jam Project. Dated the One Punch Man opening. Okay. I have nothing else to contribute, so I'm just looking up facts. <laughs> okay. I did think the opening sounded familiar. Yeah, no, I like the opening quite a bit. Like, between, and... I don't know, something about, like, a folk a folksy beginning to a, a song like this, and it's very upbeat, despite... I mean, the series is mostly upbeat, but there's some dark shit that happens even in the first third, so it's not without the the fucked up shit you're used to from better anime of this type. So yeah, I'm still enjoying it. Alright, I'm going to try to rush through the rest of this because I, I think I've talked long enough. Um, so I tried to watch um, an anime called Valerian and Loreline that I think I had mentioned to you, Dead Man, but... Um, as much as I like the premise, I just can't. <laughs> okay, then. Uh, a cu- couple reasons why. Uh, it was re- This one, I know, because it said in the credits, was released in 2008. And ev- even for coming out in 2008, it has almost an absurd amount of bad 2000s anime CG. Oh, Jesus. And considering I'll... And considering a lot of uh, this, this series is uh, spaceships flying through empty space, there's a lot of time to see that bad CG. Oh god! Real, qu- real quick, uh, the char- the name we were trying to think of before were the peacemakers. Those were the enemies. Okay, the yeah, princess. yeah. I couldn't yeah. remember the name. I just remembered the design was like sort of an angelic answer to the Reapers. Yeah, essentially, it's like, oh, Razavon cameo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the other reason I uh, don't think I can watch this is because I'm t- I, I had forgotten how bad some dubs could be. And, and usually... And, and, an element of dubs I usually don't think about that really, when they happen, they tend to be really, really bad is when characters try to do accents. <laughs> so, the main character, Valerian, is French, and that's absurd enough. But he has a big black friend who's got an Australian accent. His commander is Welsh, and... I think his uh, female friend is also French, but she has a she has a friend who is Scottish. Oh, that just sounds like a fucking clusterfuck. Yeah, particularly when they're all talking over each other, because then you've got a Welsh accent, a, a Scottish accent, a French accent, and a Australian accent all talking at the same time. Yeah, that it, just it sounds actually, 
That just yeah, I'm just when I ever I try, whenever I try and imagine the voices that this show must feature, I always think back to a Dylan Moran line, which is, "I'm doing a pan-global accent here, sort of an Al Pacino from China via Brooklyn," <laughs> and that is what I think of whenever I imagine the the voices in this. My God. <laughs> Dylan Morin does great voices, said no one ever. Uh, <laughs> he does that one uh, voice. It's called Drunken Irishman. So Irishman. <laughs> yeah, but and I, I actually kind of wanted to watch this because, like I said, it has kind of a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy kind of opening idea because Valerian is a space and time policeman basically, but he kind of wrecks his ability to do that job when, on his first mission, he goes back in time to the 15th century on in on Earth and pulls Loreline out of about being... About, she's about to be burned as a witch. 10th so century. She, yeah, out of the 15th century, and she pull And he, so she's about Still to be burned Still 10th century. <laughs> I corrected yeah, I you, and, th- and then you said 15th century. Again, I, I was pretty sure it was 15th century. Am I misremembering? But uh, it says in the anime, it's uh, the year nine uh, twelve. <laughs> okay, I must have been looking at the wrong date. But uh, yeah, so then they get back to the 25th century. I think it's like 2417 or something like that. That one is and, correct. And Earth no longer ever existed. Which, strangely enough, apparently is a big departure from the comics. Yeah, and I've read enough of the comics to know that that is the case. But so considering wait. some of the alternate timeline stuff they do with the comics, it's not out of the realm of possibility. So wait, going back to the 10th century erased Earth in its entirety? Yeah. Wibbly wobbly timey wimey. That's not an excuse. <laughs> Like, Jesus Christ, that is... Uh, reverse the polarity of the neutron flow? Doctor Who doesn't do time travel well, <laughs> so it's probably not best to use him as an excuse for bad time travel. <laughs> I'm uh, just saying. Fezzes are cool? <laughs> that is besides the point. <laughs> I keep forgetting that bad time travel really irritates you. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I, despite the stupidity of that premise, I thought that was not a bad idea for kind of a silly, ridiculous sci-fi story. But, no, the production values are so bad, I just can't watch this. I'll just, and... and I, I will add, though, given that alterations were being made in the 10th century and they were returning to the 25th there is plenty of time for there to be a snowballing effect that could lead to the destruction of the planet no like i get that but the way way you're talking about it is like earth never existed which means that somehow the the 10th century reverberated back and erased it from all of existence 
That's what that's what that's what it sounds like you're saying. Like if it was, oh yeah, they just fucking disappeared one day. That's fine. But if it is, oh, what is the Earth? I've never heard of something that hasn't existed before. I can go back and check if you're that curious. I'm not going to do it now, but I I think it was what I said. But if it's what you, if it's what you're suggesting, I, that's not that much better. But it's the same issue of. Oops, I was selfish with the space-time continuum, and now we're fucked. <laughs> and the series basically goes from there. Which I wouldn't be opposed to seeing, but again, terrible production values. And I, apparently, I didn't realize how much Luke Besson apparently wanted to make an adaptation of this, because this was made by Europa Corps, or at least was produced and distributed by Europa Corps. I can't remember what studio actually made the the anime itself. I think it's like Shebeck. But, um... Yeah, it, uh, Europa Corps is Luke Besson's production company, and he's about to release a version of these same characters in theaters in the summer. It was uh, Satellite. Producers of Heat Guy J, uh, some of the Macross stuff. Okay, that actually makes sense. So that's not out of no line for anyone that actually remembers that was a thing. I actually forgot what you said the moment you said it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, bodacious space pirates was a thing. Oh right, yeah, oh, yeah. it is a thing. Yeah, I have forgotten so much of the stuff that this studio has created. Anyway, what were we talking about? The only other funny thing I wanted to mention, Dead Man, I know this is kind of a loose t- strand, but Europa Corps, the production company that put this out, also released that Kevin Spacey cat movie, Nine Lives. They also made the Transporter franchise. Yeah, well, and the Taken franchise. I think Luke Besson directed at least the first two of Transporter himself. He did. Same with Taken. I thought he did. I didn't know he had any involvement with those movies. Uh, He was the Uh, screenwriter and the producer on the first uh, on the first Transporter, as well as the second. Okay. Okay, I thought so. But he didn't direct. And he was also same for Taken. He didn't direct any of those. Yeah. But yeah, so an experiment that didn't really work for me. I wanted it to, but if if you're if it both looks and sounds bad, I'm not going to put up with it, even if it's something that should be interesting to me. Okay, so we get the rest two, last two things out of the way. Um, I'm actually trying to figure out which is stupider of these two manga I read. An intentional comedy that's very dumb, or a, a horror black comedy series that ends up being so tone deaf that it's very dumb. So I'm going to do the horror black comedy first. So, Jaga. Dead man, didn't you talk about that? That's about that's about eight too many A's. Yes, I did. I enjoy it. It is really dumb, I, but I enjoy it. It's 
The way Again, I look at it's, it, it's a fucking like, it's a fucking ball shaped owl wearing fucking aviator goggles, shitting out fucking weird shit he eat he gets from eating frogs with human hands and feet that a guy has to snore up his nose to keep his arm uh, from killing him. That's right. Dead man talked about that for a bit, and then I completely forgot. Yeah, no. For to me, that seems like- that seems to be the fucking. Mo for any time we're on a podcast together. Like I will talk about something, then we come, then we come back to it's like, oh yeah, you did talk about that. I forgot. Yeah, nope. It, to well, me, there'll be exception is, later. This series is like, uh, what if Parasite were dumber? Yeah, that's kind of how yeah, Dead pretty Man much sold it. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So between, I still really the, enjoy it. The really rubbery weird-looking faces all these characters have. The fact that the main character... And this was the most Parasite thing to me, that for some reason this main character swallowed a tadpole, and that gave him a version of the infection that's afflicting all these other people, but it only affects his arm so far. He didn't swallow a tadpole. A tadpole crawled inside of his arm. Okay, so make the reference even more obvious. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, they fucking straight up say it in the manga manga itself. Like, oh, this is like Parasite. Yeah. And he apparently is a police officer who wants to shoot people, so his hand turns into a gun. Yeah, like eggplants. The reason he wants to shoot people is because the town mascot has guns. This is bizarrely tonally dissonant from the song Guns for Hands. (laughs) Fuck, Cora, this series is bizarrely totally dissonant with itself. Fair enough. Yeah, again, I I can't disagree with anything you're saying. Ultra-violent, about disturbed characters, but it has like an anime version of the Mr. Owl from those old Tootsie Pop commercials. Yeah. Hey, Mr. Owl, how many likes does it take to get to the the Tootsie Roll Center of a Frenzy Frog? (laughs) None, I just eat them. (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's, I read a few chapters of that I don't think I'm going to go much further because it's all it, it's it's only five chapters in and it's already getting repetitive <laughs> yeah I, yeah it, unless they make unless they make a fairly big change yeah this series is gonna get incredibly fucking boring yeah so uh the other series. By a, I can't believe I read this other this writer's other series for as long as I did. Um, Hungry Marie. I read this too. Which is, yeah, which is by the guy who made Beelzebub. And this is ridiculous. Dumber. This is even dumber than Beelzebub. It is fucking ludicrous. If I remember correctly, I think Deadman had referenced this, but not talked about it. Am I correct? Uh, we I mentioned it in news, but I don't think yeah, I ever actually. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay. Yeah, this, Just this, this is part sure, of the this is part of this new. Yeah. So, um, the main character is from a family of uh, exorcists, basically, and he's a super powerful martial skilled martial artist. He lives next door to a family of Catholic necromancers. And he's in love with Mm. their daughter, who, her father, who looks like that guy who was the gate in Beelzebub, I think. Yep, 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 you are absolutely right about that. 
uh, conks him on the head and uses him as a human sacrifice to summon Maria Therese from the from the dead, the daughter of. Okay, Maria it actually Therese. it actually wasn't that. Just as a point of clarity, uh, he stumbles across he stumbles across the daughter who he hasn't spoken to in years, uh, trying to perform some kind of necromantic necromancy ritual next to the next to the fucking river. He's like, uh, "Hey, what's up?" So then she conks him on the head and then recruits him to help her with with like a fucking thing. At which point he learns that he's going to be a human sacrifice. Yeah. Point of clarification. Sometimes it's weird, the stuff that we'll describe in these podcasts that somehow sounds generic to us. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Because I'm like, there's no context where this shouldn't sound ridiculous and bizarre. And it is, but it's also generic. Yeah, and it gets more generic because... um, uh, let's see the cliches they pile on from other supernatural shit after this. So, uh, first, the main character, as he's sitting here with the with the necromancer, necromancy daughter, uh, confesses his love to her and gets shot by lightning. Naturally. And then, as a result of the lightning spell, um, the spirit and body of Maria Teresa is uh, tied to his but the brains are out of sync. So when it's her body, it's his brain. When it's his, it's his brain, it's her body. I think I might've just said the same thing twice. Yes, you did. She only, and okay. Yeah. So when she's awake, you see him, but when, but when she is awake, you see him. When, when he is awake, you see her. It's hard. God, that's hard to say. (laughs) I got your gist. Like, yeah, before you started confusing 16 yourself. 16 minutes ago, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she only wakes up when she's hungry. You know, if it wasn't for the fact that I am mildly familiar with Beelzebub, that sounds like it could be an interesting idea, but I'm assuming it's played for laughs. Yep. yep. Also, yeah, all the characters look the exact same as Beelzebub characters. Yeah, no, this writer... I mean... You you can't really hate Mangaka for using the same character models. Like Hiro Mashima does that, uh uh Arakawa Hiromu does that. Yeah. So I can't really hate writers for using the same character the writers and artists from using the same character models they had used in previous but there, series. But there are degrees, you know. Arakawa yeah. let's be honest, you pull up any of the characters from Silver Spoon, you're not going to confuse them for a Full Metal Alchemist character. Now, I have seen her design characters before that I thought just bore way too much of a similarity to uh, Full Metal Alchemist characters, but that was for a mediocre anime that I can't actually remember the name of. But, yeah, I I can already envision how redundant the designs probably are yeah no it's i was gonna say yes you can sometimes forgive a certain extent a a mangaka repeating the same designs because it's just their style but no this is just this is this is copy copy and paste just replace the names there's not even that much difference in the characterization so it's even more blatant (laughs) Yeah, but yeah. So it's I'm pro- I'm not going to keep reading this. It I I got bored of BLs above really quickly because this 
I thought it was funny at first, but it got it like Jagan. It got super repetitive real fast, and I just was not on board with it. I didn't think it was funny, so I wasn't just going to keep. I was not going to keep reading a comedy that was not funny. So, same with this. And of, oh, I guess the only other cliche I forgot to mention was uh, that after being struck by lightning, the main character no longer remembers that he confessed his love to the girl, but now she's weirded out by it because whenever she tries to confess to him. He looks like a chick. But the thing is, if this was a drama, that would be an interesting dynamic. But from the writer of Beelzebub. <laughs> like, <laughs> there are ideas here that I could see hypothetically working outside of a gag manga. But. Yeah. Yeah, no. I I have absolutely no interest in anything you've m- mentioned about this. Though, to be fair, I understand you're not exactly trying to sell me on this. Yeah. Maybe uh, if you tried doing it as a smooth jazz thing. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> We're in uh, necromantic hour here, people. And we are getting to the body swapping part of the night. Now, you get those... Uh, hey, everybody, welcome to the Marie Antoinette Jazz Club. Hey, hey, make sure you got your donuts filled. Yeah, that's the other... The, the main character's obsessed. The, the, the ghost is obsessed with sweets. <laughs> <laughs> we got Leroy Jackson on base. All right, so... Cora talked about it. it Cora, I think, mentioned that we had talked about this off, not on the show, but I think he talked about it on the show when I wasn't here. I just wanted to quickly express my emotions about this particular writer, just since he has this new series out that Cora was watching. Uh, the guy who wrote Fuka is a hack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, and I wanted to acknowledge that I stopped watching it. After I we did that podcast, because it well, part of it is circumstance. You know, I mentioned that I had played Life is Strange and was looking for something to sort of distract myself from that, and it occurred to me that I was already trying to distract myself from a a series that had some questionable execution problems and a blue haired girl that ends up dying as its uh, primary romantic interest. So Fuka didn't seem like the right series for me to continue with. Yeah. Spoilers. <laughs> yeah, the only the only thing that differentiates Fuka from the other two series that this writer has made is that the main love interest dies and to add to the melodramatic clichés, um if I'm not mistaken there's another character in the series who is named Fuka who also falls in love with the main character and finds out about the previous Fuka and learns a, and learns to love him by learning about their relationship. That yeah. just sounds creepy. I, I've seen this storyline done effectively. Like, not not in quite the same way. But there is actually a plot line in the series Cross Game that went a slightly similar route, except it didn't lay on it quite as heavily 
And that was that character never became the primary romantic interest. Yeah. So there's like I'll give the and also they didn't have the same name. The characters looked similar in Cross Game enough to throw a few people who had known uh, the uh, the previous character just throw them off when uh, whenever they first encountered her. Uh, I will say this, at the very least, Fuka did not choose to design the second character with that name as looking like the first one, from what I can tell. No, as far as, I mean, I didn't look that closely, because once I figured out it was, oh, this writer, I was like, I don't give a shit, but, um, yeah. I looked closely, once we, because after, I think after the last podcast where we talked about it, Corey and I talked about this back and forth, and I was mentioning some of the particular, it's weird that this much of a hack writer has such specific cliches that he keeps coming back to, because in all three of the series he's written, he always somehow manages to include a love triangle between the main character, one of his main love interests, and someone who is dead, dying, or sick. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out. Because in the like uh in Suzuka, the main character confesses his love to the, his main love interest fairly quickly. But she turns him down, and it's later revealed, oh, she's still hung up over a senpai she liked who died three years prior. And in, I think, the uh, town where they live, I think, is the second series, uh, the main character and his main love interest start to hit it off for a while, and then she leaves and goes back to the city she was living in before to be with her previous boyfriend, who is currently dying of a terminal illness. And in Fuka, the, the the love interest who's a pop star, or if I think, and she has an illness related to. I th- actually, I can't remember. I think it's one of those stupid melodramatic illnesses. Where uh, it's it, called getting hit by a car. Okay. <laughs> she I, died I from a tragic case of being hit by a car. I think. Yeah. Claiming more and more people every year. <laughs> when will they find a cure for being hit by a car? I could be mistaken, but I'm relatively certain. Oh no, not a car, a truck. Okay. Oh, so we're we're in uh, Nicholas Cage uh, Wicker Man territory. Yeah, there is a there is a very big difference between, between being hit by a car and being hit by a truck, and that is the Doppler effect sound of the horn hitting you is about. Two demitones lower for trucks. With cars, it's meow. And trucks, it's And don't get me wrong, the execution of the first couple episodes was fine, but I don't want to watch. I don't want to watch the aftermath of this writer clumsily trying to handle the subject of grief. Oh, no, I was right. She did get hit by a car, but she also has a stress-induced illness due to the fact that she used her unrequited love for her, her, her childhood friend to empower her singing, but now she no longer is ha- she's having writer's block, and it's making her sing. Oh, you're talking about the other character. Yes, yeah. 
Not not sorry, I should have made that more clear. Not Fuka, the other one. The other Fuka? No. No, no, the the first love the first love triangle, not one of the later ones. Did I mention this writer's a hack? Yes, you did. <laughs> oh god. But I feel like it can't be stated enough. <laughs> yeah, I mean this guy he's not um this guy has enough understanding of characters to at least make them relatable through all the rom- through melodramatic cliches. Like, he's not the writer of SAO, but as <laughs> decent characterization does not excuse this many melodramatic, cliched, stupid plot decisions over and over and over again. <laughs> What's the music, like, like the score when all that happens? Uh, it's not terrible. Yeah, it's... The music I, for I, the show is okay. Like, I mean, it's J... Well, slightly more aggressive J-pop. I don't want to soft sell it. But not really my genre. And I, Not mine either. So... It just left no impact It, it, me, it so. wasn't a selling point for me, but I like the idea of a romance being able to have something else to focus on. So the idea of them setting up a band seemed like a decent idea. Like, okay, I joked last time, it's like, oh, I've never seen that before. Oh, wait, Beck is a thing. But... Yeah, well, it's like all three series, I mean, uh, I guess the middle series had the least of this, but the first two at least had some idea to kind of focus on, where like the yeah. first one had, like, the theme of track and field running through most of its major characters in some... Yeah, no, and we we had discussed that before. I do prefer it when the romance takes a little bit more of a backseat, but when you're... when you're branding something as a romance, I suppose it makes sense that it's kind of in the forefront. Yeah, but, but that's the weird thing. I, From what I remember of Suzuka and what I remember and what I've read of Fuka... The writer seems to be better at writing the stuff he's not focusing on. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. Like uh, the track and field stuff works okay, and uh, I think that actually is what got me through watching Suzuka the first time. Yeah, uh, as opposed to the second time, which never occurred. Uh, <laughs> I think I might have actually tried to rewatch the first episode of Suzuka at one point. Really? Later, and I was like, no. Oh, that no. would be an interesting experiment. <laughs> Like, I have no desire to return to that series. I don't blame you for that. I was just I was just mildly curious. No, and no, and I, I, I get that. But I'm, I, as an experiment, that would be interesting to see one's reaction to that now. Yeah, because I think we both watched that when we were in, like, And it's one of those things where, on one hand, I don't think it's a good series, but I also don't want to be too harsh to it. Because the way I described it to both you and Deadman is that I view that series as being, like, if Love Hina was less terrible. Like, still not good, still extremely cliched, but not abrasive. Or at least to be... Not a stupid ridiculous farce yeah not now a, don't get me wrong suzuka had those moments that really didn't click well the main character did attempt to rape at one point uh yeah uh, 
Yeah. And at the Suzuko end of the manga, was not a, Suzuko was not a good series, uh, and it... Yeah, I'm aware the manga went... I, I don't know if it went further in that particular instance, but I know that the manga was intended for a more mature audience. Ironically. Yeah, the, uh, I guess, but the manga made the weird decision to have the last real conflict be, hey, the main character got the girl he loves pregnant. Should he leave her or marry her? So what did I miss? <sighs> We're talking about Suzuka and how incredibly stupid that series was, but I also have to be, I I try and be slightly kind to it because I remember that it comes from the era where a lot of things were attempting to rip off the success of a show that I mentioned just briefly like a minute ago and now can't think of Thank you. Yeah. My brain completely forgot the title. Over the course of, like, one minute. (laughs) Yeah, because, like, Love Hina is one of those examples of something that was super popular for several years in both the States and in Japan that, I I mean, I've still seen, like, figures and stuff in toy stores for those characters when I was in Japan, but pretty much whenever I talk to hardcore anime fans, both in the States and and in Japan, I don't think I've heard anyone say, you know what, I really want to go back to Love Hina. Yeah, it's an interesting instance where perhaps it might actually be almost, at least in part, because of the widespread, like, ripples that it had in the anime community, that it's not... Like, I don't think it's surprising that people don't tend to remember it fondly, but the actual hatred it gets might be due to how much it shaped, like, anime romances for several years. Yeah. Uh, so, but yeah. But yeah, we the, the only thing I was saying about that, Dead Man, that you missed was that in the case of both Fuka and Suzuka, the writer injected elements that you could maybe focus on other than the romance and he was actually better at writing that than the romance but he always focused on the romance yeah so yeah was this writer's writer's name Seo Koji yeah yeah not not only is he a hack writer but he doesn't even play to his own strengths So yeah, that's. I think I've talked enough. <laughs> Let Cora talk for a while. Alright then, Cora, what you got? Well, most of the anime that I've watched we've covered. Uh, we kind of skipped over Yojo Sinki, though. Which... Fuck. Yeah, I guess I was talking so long I forgot about that. Yeah, I guess I was the only one who hasn't spoken about this series having never seen it. Um, the ending... Uh, the first episode, if it weren't for Divergence Eve, would be one of the worst examples of, you do not really want to sell your audience on this at all, do you? <laughs> yeah. and, it was, and it was fun to watch Jimmy react, because we showed him the first five or six episodes last night, and he was sold on the on the setting of the first episode, but once he figured out what the context of everything was, there was this kind of dumbfounded look on his face for a while <laughs> until he realized that he might be too much like Tanya. The moment where I turned to uh, him and mentioned, uh, like, as the conversation, the first conversation with Being X is underway, I turned to him at one point. 
Remember how Tanya in the first episode mentioned how much it sucked to be a salary man and nobody knew what that term meant? <laughs> <laughs> and just the look on his face as he realizes what that all means. <laughs> uh. Yeah, that's a fun one. Yeah. Yep, and they're finally going down the road that I've they're finally going down the route that I've been waiting for them to go down. Yeah, I I, I didn't anticipate them setting up they're setting up a particular character as a possible threat to uh, Tanya. Tanya and to be fair they had done this previously but I thought that character was fucking dead so <laughs> uh, the reveal that no that character is still alive and has finally woken up after a couple months uh, <laughs> <laughs> and seems to have been blessed by God yep so I- I'm eager to see how they're going to develop that. Uh, because, yeah, there was definitely the sense that Tanya had yet to face a real Challenge. threat that, yeah, that was capable of. Yeah, because even though, it, as as Being X put it himself, how does it feel to have the entire world fighting against you? He had mostly just been throwing... Uh, meat shields at her. Yeah, yeah like, just just it's an endless string of jobbers. Yeah. So, yeah, I I, mean, I I had noted that as I got later in to particularly, like, I mean, her squad's powerful enough, but when you add in how powerful everyone around, how powerful she is even in comparison to her squad, I can see why you would have to, at some point, either make a, a force or an individual powerful enough to actually really threaten her. So, yeah, that yeah. I don't... I'm very happy about. Uh, the only other thing I watch, which we haven't... Didn't, uh, no, we haven't talked about, is I watched the first episode of Love Stage, which is an interesting series. Because... The main reason I watched this is uh, back in February, the YouTube channel Mother's Basement did a list of five romantic anime that you probably haven't seen. And one of them was Love Stage, which was is a yaoi, which I, I do have to question whether or not it is homophobic or anything like that to not necessarily seek out or engage in a romance series where you can't really relate to either side. It's a slightly odd situation because I'll, I will occasionally watch uh Yuri series, but it's not something I tend to seek out either necessarily. Uh, but I gravitate to them more than Yaoi. Maybe it's because I feel that both of those tend to aim for fan service. Yeah, that's what, I, of, that's, that's what I like, was going to say. That particularly yeah. Yaoi, I, I well Yuri's definite. Like there are a well, few exceptions. Like, I mean, I, yeah, that's what I was going to say. I can think of a couple examples of Yuri shows that try to focus more on the narrative and are not just pandering to the fan, the fanboys or fangirls. I guess number nine counts as an example of a Yaoi series. That yeah, that, is a, that that's the reason I. <laughs> 
I would say that this is technically the first Yaoi series I've ever watched, but number nine was a stealth Yaoi series. <laughs> In yeah, that I, I did think, okay, there's some weird tension here, but no, no, no that, that went from being subtext to very overt text. Yeah, and, the and honestly, I think when it goes overt, Yaoi is when it kind of suffers. Well, usually because, again, it aims for uh, fan service. I've only watched the first episode of Love Stage, but I will acknowledge it's got a good sense of humor. I did laugh a bit during that first episode, and the way they've set up the characters is interesting enough. If you, For people who aren't familiar with the premise, the idea is that our main character is a university student who comes from a family of actors and performers. And his parents actually run a uh, talent agency, and they are both his father and mother are accomplished individuals. His brother is a rock singer, essentially a family filled with talent. Uh, as he has only ever done one thing, though, in terms of uh, acting. And that was as a little kid, they were, uh, his mother was filming a commercial that involved a couple on their wedding day throwing a bouquet and it was caught by the, by a pair of two children. And the main character played the, the young girl because they didn't, because the per, uh, actress that was supposed to show up got delayed and they needed to, try and get the filming done that day while the lighting was still good. So they had him fill in and they said, uh, they set it up where they want to do a like 10 years later style commercial where they have the couple from the original, you know, the children as a couple now uh, from the original ad and one of the parameters that's been set is that they have to use, uh, be using all of the same uh, actors. And it turns out that that parameter was actually established by the boy that the main character acted opposite to, who did not know he was acting opposite to another boy. <laughs> and has long wondered what happened to that girl. And the thing is... All of the characters' motivations in this series of art work. The parents want to get their son into acting because they feel that he doesn't have a direction. He's at university, but he wants to become a manga artist, and he is god-awful. <laughs> like, I, I'm... I've got pictures that I drew when I was ten... And I always find it interesting to look back at them because it's like, oh, these are the same characters I still have in my mind now, but except garbage and with terrible names. <laughs> Those are what he's working with in the present. <laughs> he is a terrible, terrible artist. And the fact that he is only mildly aware of that is hilarious. So... It's interesting to see how various characters have somewhat understandable underlying motivations, but they interact in an exaggerated fashion. For example, in order to try and get... The mother really wants to act with the love interest, essentially, the uh, 
the professional actor who played the boy in the commercial because he has grown up to be essentially a hit actor. He is what would be a good he, he's essentially Ryan Gosling would be the best point of comparison, I guess. Yeah, and like, so he, the, he's not he's not just a pretty face, he's also very talented. He's talented and he's very popular and she wants the opportunity to be in the commercial with him. So she's trying to convince her son to go along and agree to the situation. So what they do is they call up his brother who the rock star who comes for a visit and apparently has gotten an alarm clock with a specialized recording from our main character's favorite voice actress because he is that much of an otaku and uses that to essentially blackmail convince yeah i mean well, not so, not much, so much blackmail, blackmail. Yeah, to bribe him into doing it. Hey, come on, I got this cool shit for you. I just got to be a girl for like half an hour. Hey, did you kill Trump for a Power Ranger suit? Did I do what? I actually... He's like, would you kill Trump for a Power Ranger suit? Not really, because then he'd be a martyr. (laughs) They would justify their... the balls for a Power Ranger suit. Yes. (laughs) Hell, I could give the balls for free. Yeah, I was kind of wondering. Uh... But, if it was like, would you shake Trump's hand for a Power Ranger suit? That's something you might have to bribe me to do because I do not want to touch him because I'm pretty sure I will be infected by that weird orange spray he uses. Yeah, I was like, your your palm will be orange for months. Just, I'll, um, wake up, I'll wake up the next day and then all of a sudden all of my clothes and my fucking skin will be orange. Except around the eyes and ears. It's a very extensive tandoori chicken cosplay. That's that, um, that's the most fucking disturbing thing about Trump is the fact that like yes he is he is like horribly fake tanned, but he's horribly fake tanned and like not everywhere though. Like around the eyes and around the ears, it's still regular human skin tone. But yeah, I I probably will check out more of this series actually because it is quite funny. Yeah, and, funny will get you get you a long way usually. Yeah. No, and that's one of the reasons a lot of romance, like a lot of romance anime, are romantic comedies. Even ones that aren't do tend to have a decent amount of humor. The combo counter from Clanad comes to mind, but yeah, I got some good laughs out of this. Usually, the downside to those is the awkwardness that tends to uh, arise, but it's played naturally enough. The, it never makes like awkward humor can really grate on me very very quickly and make it so it's like oh I'm feeling uncomfortable on behalf of these characters and I don't want to be feeling that but fortunately this avoids that it never builds up the awkwardness beyond what it's natural to the circumstances at least at least with the first episode i'm judging this entirely based on a single episode but i do remember when this came out because it was during one of the seasons where i was reviewing a number of things for the site and i did give a brief consideration towards doing a first impressions of this but decided against it on account of it being in no way up my alley really it's not something I would naturally gravitate to, so if I ended up hating it, my reaction of, oh, it turns out this thing I had no interest in, I hated it, 
shock of all shocks. Next, I'll be doing a review of the Power Rangers movie. <laughs> yeah, it's like. <laughs> no, I think I think Dead Man's got that squared away. <laughs> it might be a bit late because I don't have any money. <laughs> but yeah, that. Uh, so I, I I found that to be surprisingly enjoyable. Uh, most of the manga is kind of straightforward. I got caught up on Yamushi Petal, which has done some great character work, actually. Like, I... In a way that I can't, hadn't necessarily anticipated. Like, Dan, man, you read some of... Or read or watched some of it, right? Yeah, I watched uh, up to the beginning of the second season where they... Started... Where they got into the second... Right, where they got right, like, the back end of, like, the fucking inner high. Yeah, I remember where you stopped off. You remember the character that joined the club, but was essentially there to explain some technical elements and largely just proclaimed that he was experienced, but at the same time, never had a chance of making the team. Like he's kind of, he's polite, but he kind of talks down to Onoda at the beginning. Or maybe not. Well, sorry, I was I was million miles away. Okay. I I was out. asking. I was asking if you remembered the character who was largely there to supply information on cycling terminology and stuff like that, and who joined the club at the same time as Onoda and claimed to be experienced, but. Kind of just fell into the background. Yeah, I remember that shit, Bird. Yeah. I so fucking was rooting for him <laughs> in recent chapters. Like, I really, really started to appreciate his character. Even with his catchphrase, tries- you know I'm a professional cyclist. Like, he really, really tries to catch up, to act, because he... He recognizes how how much he has, in a sense, fallen behind. How he was not able to keep up with the team. And how uh, he thought originally Onoda, of course, had no great chance of succeeding, much less making it to the inner high. And then he kept watching as he surpassed every one of his expectations. And... So, over the course of the year, he started trying to train himself up as much as possible so that he could be part of the team the following year. And I really like his character. I really like what they did with him. They've had some fascinating character work, and I did not think he would become one of my favorite characters. (laughs) (laughs) Because, yeah, he was... I don't want to say he was an ass, because he was never malicious, but he was always just acting with a slight slight sense of pleasant superiority, even when he was clearly falling behind. Yeah. But for him to have recognized that fact and tried to prove himself and come forth and be a integral member of the team is a really fascinating idea. And it unfortunately it did not go the happy-go-lucky route, though. Like, I really found that to be a fascinating move. 
Because I kind of was at the point where I'm like, okay, I don't know that this character's ever really gonna show up again. <laughs> and no, he had his own story arc. Yeah, I had completely forgotten that he was even a character, except for when he shows up, it's like, well, as an experienced writer, I can say. Exactly. And you're like, oh, fuck you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It was exactly my response every time he showed up. Just, oh, right, you're a character. Just fuck off, dude. Jesus Christ. No, he goes to, uh, I forget the character's name, because I always just remember the nickname for him, which is Hotshot. Uh, but the sort of new ace for the team. Uh, cannot think of the character's name. But... And actually starts asking him for advice and starts implementing it with his own training menu and everything. So I I really did enjoy... I'm I'm enjoying what it's doing with its sort of background characters. Like, it took another character that I completely had forgotten existed. Like, he had shown up before and I had no recollection of him. And did some interesting character work with him. He was the guy that... Uh, was a second year who did work on their bikes. If you remember him, I think you're lying. But I, can, I only remember two second years that mattered. Yeah, exactly. It was I the third second re- year. I have, I have not read or watched Yoabushi Pedal and so on. The most I remember about it is he may, he may, he may. But yeah, it was the third second year. Uh, there's a third so, second year? Exactly. And, yeah, no, even the character work with him was decent and served to build on other characters' character work. And I, I do like how this series uh, is handling itself. Baby Steps is still in the middle of a tournament, so... Well, you're, fr- you're frustrated with it. It's like, come on, get back to the character stuff. No, no, it's actually it's actually been fine. It's just uh, moderately slow progression, so not too much to add. I recommend checking out Baby Steps if you haven't. But yeah, it's the start of a tournament that probably won't last very long in uh, the U.S. So the main character was undergoing a training uh I forget how long he was doing anything. I think it was a month-long training uh, plan in uh, the U.S. And someone pointed out to him, we're going to be having a tournament, and you are eligible to take part. Would you like to... I think you should join in. And so that's where they're currently in the plot. Which is decent. I did, however, check out a new manga. U19. Yes. It's an interesting one, though I will say it might actually... It's one of those scenarios where the lack of subtlety might hurt it a little bit. Like, I... It is definitely a ridiculous premise. And Oh this shit. I, I might end up I might end up eating my words because, you know Yeah, we never thought idiocracy would prove to be a 
premonition. But yeah, uh, would, that would be prescient. Hey, <laughs> everybody keeps saying that, but don't fucking insult President Camacho like that. Yeah, my point exactly. Anyway. President Camacho but, is a man who knows what his limits are and will step out of the way to have people actually have people who know what the fuck they're doing take over. But yeah, U19 I'm going to stick with it for a bit, but I could easily see it irritating me. Yeah, I couldn't even bother reading. I tried reading this. I hated it. <laughs> it's Something that Deadman had brought up, and it's silly enough in its execution to overlook how ridiculous the premise is, but I can, like I said... Its style aggravates me. (laughs) Uh, Well, well, to put it simply, it's not the style of everything else Deadman recommends, so I'm comparatively favorable towards it. The other things I don't really recommend, I just kind of read them. Well, okay. It's the shit style, you talk about it, on the show. Its style is dissonant from all of the horrifying crap that Dead Man reads. It <laughs> does not necessarily recommend. So, I... I the way I compared it was... Uh, ta- the way I think I described it prior to reading it, when, we, when Dead Man was talking about it last time, was... It's a bizarre mashup of Baca no Test and Assassination Classroom. And I actually do think that holds kind of true at this point. But that could easily get on my nerves, depending on how they continue to present the adults. Because yeah, at the moment, from what I remember, it, it was seemed to be like in Stephen King territory, where everyone outside of the couple of main characters is a jackass. But that could just be what I read. I that is currently the case. But given that we've only established a few of our main characters, I'm willing to give it some time to try and set up more shades of gray. Like the way, in in a sense, it actually does, and I don't mean to keep coming back to this. Remind me a little bit of Life is Strange, because based on the first episode uh, episode of Life is Strange, I felt that all of the adults were fucking cartoons, and it added. But later episodes added far more shades of gray and helped diminish that problem as it expanded upon the cast. So I'm hoping that this will. St- Stop making it so that everybody over the age of, like, 30 is essentially Hitler. Well, so, well, so far, we'll every see. Well, so far, every adult outside of, like, the parents has been, like, a fairly substantial part of the grown-up party. And the grown-up party is, you know, four kids, basically Nazis. But even the adults have a... I mean, even the parents have a very... uh, I'm trying to think of how I would put it. Limited characterization. Like, all it takes is a little bit of pressure, and they can turn into complete assholes. Yeah, and also, the Japanese school system is repressive and conservative and abusive to children... Is not a new concept. It was played out when GTO did it in the early 90s. 
but there's enough about this execution that actually does feel like it stands on its own. Like it's, it doesn't feel as generic as that premise might appear. Now, whether or not it will actually be able to handle that and come together into anything remains to be seen. But at the moment, I give it a very solid, eh, it's okay. Cool. <laughs> you read, <laughs> you something, read, I re- more you read something I recommended. That's the first time that's happened. <laughs> Ever. Yeah. With anybody. It's like someone shares my interest. <laughs> Pretty much, like fucking anything I talk about on this show, it's like, yeah, I don't really know. Unless it is something that I specifically picked up because you guys talked about it. No, I read Inuyashiki after you read it. I just didn't know you had read it. Okay, then. <laughs> I don't know that See- that counts. So anyway. It's like, yeah, I followed your recommendation. Largely because I've forgotten you made it. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go, then? Uh, Not much to add on My Hero Academia, since they didn't have a chapter last week, and this one developed some stuff a little, but... Yeah, the only thing I'd really have to say about it is I don't, that so far, I don't like uh, All Might's former sidekick, but that's just me. Yeah, I can see that. He's a bit of a... He's odd. He's odd. I don't dislike him. I can't say... I'm not going to go so far as to say I like him. I feel he needs more characterization uh, to either work or properly fail at this point. His ability initially appears overpowered, but they establish its limits rather effectively. So, I'm... I can't say that I dislike him. I think that he could prove to be decent. He probably won't ever be my favorite character or anything, but... Because he just doesn't have that strong first impression, but... I will say this for the most recent chapter. It at least gave me a decent first... If there's a thing that um, My Hero has kind of dogged My Hero Academia in terms of like major in terms of like major characters, it's it creates villains that leave lasting first impressions and then doesn't do anything with them. So I'm kind of hoping that they don't do that with the the Crow Mask Yakuza guy because I actually kind of like him as a villain. Yeah, I, I like where they might be going with this. Uh, it but definitely like, helps like establish Shigaraki, it. Yeah, but like Shigaraki left a lasting first impression when I saw him, but they just did nothing interesting with him for so long that I was like, I lost interest. Hmm. I, I can kind of get that. Uh, but yeah, between the possible child abuse and outright murder of a subordinate, yeah, it's, he, he's making a good impression as a villain so far. Yeah, and all the panels were finished. Yeah, that's that's a plus. Though now that we know that the mangaka was, what, falling ill at that time, most likely. Yeah, the reason there wasn't a chapter last week was because uh, the mangaka fell down with a sudden illness. 
Yeah, I, I guess we can probably forgive an incomplete, a somewhat incomplete chapter upon now knowing that fact. Yeah, so like, and, and yeah. when you say, I don't, I know what you're talking about, but are we talking, when you say incomplete, are you thinking incomplete in terms of like Hunter x Hunter levels of incomplete? Where No, no, like, I, okay. I, I think we discussed this Yeah, we, prior, we, 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 talk, we talked about both. it when, we talked about it with that, with last chapter where like three panels in a row like they didn't have proper inking, or like they they, they looked just like pencils. Yeah, I can. They, kind of yeah, see they that. weren't finalized. Uh, but what I meant was, I think I spoke with Birdie about this off mic as well. Uh, no, they. I could tell who the characters currently talking were, so it was not Hunter X Hunter levels. Yeah, where... because I recently I recently went back and looked at the Yu Yu Hakusho manga, and I actually really liked that story. But God, the art is awful. <laughs> yeah, that that that's what kept me from reading it for the longest time. And the just, weird thing just is watch that the manga, <laughs> that, that, watch read the watch the anime. Yeah, read the anime, watch the manga. Well, there are there are instances where that mangaka does perform well. He de- seems to, if I remember correctly, from Hunter X Hunter, I think he does a good job with landscapes and things like that but yeah his character designs are always a bit rough and awkward around the edges and and he has some of the hunter worst, x like, hunter is the biggest joke in the world as when it comes to deadlines like yeah. as far as manga is concerned there is no other one that is as infamous that i can think of they don't know what deadlines mean yeah and i Deadlines I of the week. An, I, like I've looked at episodes of it, but I haven't read enough of the Hunter X Hunter to see how the fights look. But several fights that I know I like from the Yu Hakusho anime, I looked at where they how they played out in the manga. It's like, oh god, that's awful. <laughs> like, d- I actually like, don't... remember. I remember Hunter X Hunter being okay, but it had a layer of brutality to it that the at least early episodes of the anime lacked. That was one of the things that turned me off from the anime, which I know a lot of people love, and I maybe someday will return to it, but the early appearances of one of the, um, I guess you could say antagonists, were not nearly as brutal or bloody as they were in the manga. So, it's a little hard to compare. Because on one hand, the, like the animation may prove to be far better than the artistic implementation of the manga, but it does lack something in the just visceral quality. Yeah, so. and I, I get the impression that this writer's not good at staying on anything because he he finished Yu Hakusho by ninety four wrote another series from 97 and is supposedly still working on Hunter x Hunter since 98. Supposedly. Although. (laughs) Every once in a while, I'll see a new story like, hey, Hunter x Hunter coming back, and then the next week, oh, Hunter x Hunter is going away again. Yeah. That's pretty much what, for uh, all for what I've been watching and reading. Okay, then. So for me, um, talked about uh, Hungry Marie, talked about Yo Jasenki. So I read two other new manga. First one's called Dr. Stone. Yeah, I looked at that and I just didn't care. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't either. 
I read the first chapter and I was like, well, that's it. That's enough of this. Yeah, everything I looked when I looked at it, I was like, well, that's a thing. Yeah, so in this world, there are two friends. A big tough guy who's an idiot and a big tough guy who's a genius. The idiot goes to confess to a girl, at which point some kind of bomb goes off that turns everybody on the planet to stone. He keeps himself conscious by just screaming, I love this girl, I'm going to fucking wake up and save her bullshit for like 10,000 years or something. The stone then crumbles away and he's like, oh, hey, I'm awake, I'm alive, yay. Then this girl, then he goes and he sees the girl who grew into a tree or a tree grew into her. Just a tree grew around her so that she wasn't horribly destroyed by being sucked away by fucking tidal waves or some bullshit. Sure. So he's like, oh, she's alive. And then it turns out his buddy's also alive. The, the a genius who kept himself conscious inside the stone by counting the seconds. Because he is a genius. And that totally won't wouldn't drive you insane. <laughs> And so the two of them are like, we are going to save the world. I'm going to confess this girl. It's going to be amazing. No, it won't. And together we'll be justice. The art is fine. Like it, for whatever reason, I feel like this is going to be a secret Yowie series. Oh, goody. I know it probably won't be. It probably won't actually be that. But just given that the two characters are these two characters and it kind of like slow closely together and they do have a long standing history. And as of right now, they're the only two non stone people they know of. I could easily see this turning into a thing where they spend their entire time developing a relationship and then they save the planet. And then as he goes to confess to that girl, he goes and says, Hey, I'm in love with my buddy. The two of them go off and fuck. It's just boring. I'm glad I didn't waste my time. Yeah, it's it's just really fucking boring. Um, the other new one is a trail of blood. Well, this sounds more like the kind of stuff you usually read. It's not, and I'm not entirely <laughs> sure what it is. So let me double check something here. Because this is a thing. Is a thing from somebody important, I think. <sighs> so it is a manga. So it's so this is a new manga. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. So this is a new manga from Oshimishuzo. Who wrote Flowers of Evil? Oh. There you go. Okay. Yeah, that, all that, of a sudden, me, everything you've me, said already makes sense. Oh, God, it even it even looks like Flowers of Evil. Yes, yes, it does. Uh, yeah, if, if, the, if this is anything like Flowers of Evil, I might say it's good, but need to take a shower afterwards. Like, Dead Man's description of I don't know what this is sounds appropriate. 
I think that actually covers it, probably. Yeah, so it starts out with a bunch of color pages of a young child with his mom going, walk, you know, walking down the road, and they see a cat sleeping. So they go and touch the, so they go and like go and pet the cat. It's like, hey, mom, this cat's cold. Oh, it's dead. The kid then wakes up. Because it was a dream, but more than a dream, it was a memory. And yeah, the kid is now older, living with his mom and dad. They're just kind of doing whatever. And you get to the end. And he tells his mom, hey, I remember this fucking dead cat. And the mom like starts getting horny or something. I don't know. It's I don't know what this is. I really don't know what this fucking thing is. Sounds like what I'd expect. Like, I'm rereading it right now as we're talking about it. (laughs) And I'm still not entirely sure what it is. Like, it is... I'm intrigued enough by just not knowing what the hell it is to read another chapter of it. That tends to be the truth for most um, stuff by this writer. Oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, Sorry, I missed a decent amount of the discussion on Dr. Stone. So I went and looked up a description of it. And... I, oddly enough, just sort of had the exact same response that we've kind of been having to this. Which is, oh, this sounds weird and bizarre. Oh, from the writer of Shield 21. Okay, yeah, I don't know what this is, but that kind of just makes sense. Yeah, my takeaway from Dr. Stone was, this is kind of boring and it might turn out to be gay. I don't know. It's it's slight aside. Um, when discussing uh, flowers of evil, at flower, flowers of evil, flowers of evil, uh, the descriptor calls it a building's Roman, so like a coming of age story. Yeah, I guess it. I guess that's a coming of age story in the same way uh, Nightcrawler is a rags to riches story. <laughs> that's a decent comparison. <laughs> Technically true. <laughs> yeah, I've never read or watched any of Flowers of Evil. Uh, uh, do you know the premise? Nope. I'm just going to read the... Roland, do you, Corey, do you mind if I read the premise? Go ahead. <laughs> the story starts in a small town and follows Takao Kasuga, a middle school bookworm whose favorite book is The Flowers of Evil by Charles Baudelaire. One day after school, he impulsively steals the gym clothes of Nanako Saiki, the classmate he idolizes. However, a girl named Sawa Nakamura sees him and blackmails Kasuga into a contract. At the same time, Kasuga grows closer to Saiki and manages to become her boyfriend. As Kasuga spends more time with both girls, he finds the guilt of his theft weighing down on him. He attempts to confess by vandalizing his classroom with Nakamura, but Saiki refuses to break up with him. When his mother finds out he was responsible for the vandalism, he runs from home and attempts to bike with Nakamura past the mountain adjacent to this town. Sayaki catches up to the pair as they rest and tries to make Kasuga come back. Unable to choose between them, he estranges both girls and the police collect them. 
A month later, Casca breaks up with Sayaki and resolves to help Nakamura. He writes a co- composition to convey his feelings to her. When she runs from him, Casca goes to her house and reads in her diary about her disappointment in not being able to reach the other side. And it kind of goes on from there. I could go to the end if you wanted to know how this fucked up thing ends. That sounds... That sounds like this a bit. Of just, yeah, all that stuff's happening. What is it? Though? Uh, the best way I could put it is in the in a very, very literal sense, I mean, mean this, psychological horror. Like, yeah, there is nothing that external so. that is horrifying, but it's all about the underlying horrifying elements of these characters' compulsions and desires. And how much... It affects their progression. Like it is, the anime in particular is animated in a bizarre rotoscoped sort of fashion that really is off-putting in a clearly intended way. Like I will say, yeah, that looks fucking strange, and I. It's it's not bad in how it looks, but yeah, that was a that was a unc- I, I haven't watched it in its entirety. The episodes that I did watch were uncomfortable. Yeah, because c- combined with this is a rare case where making an odd decision with how a series is presented fits well with the narrative. Because the rotoscoping animation combined with the narrative just makes everything feel off. Okay, well, this certainly feels off. Sure. Like, it's... I can believe that. It is... Outside of that bit at the end where the mom seems to get horny. None of it is really, like, any specific thing that makes it feel off. It just kind of does. Yeah. Like, the artwork isn't bad or anything it is it actually reminds me of like older style of like horror manga artwork like uh, when I like when I read the drifting classroom it kind of reminds me of that where just characters faces won't exactly look right when they're at a distance or like jumping in and having some kind of like a reaction shot to things yeah the the earlier comparison to nightcrawler actually I stated before it's appropriate not, I will say, I don't think that any of the characters that I encountered in Flowers of Evil were as disturbed as the main character from Nightcrawler, but there was definitely that off-putting quality to all of them. Yeah, because, like, I mean, okay, yeah, no, no, as far as I can tell from, I haven't read or, I have not watched or read all of Flowers of Evil, but, uh... Yeah. From what I've seen of it, the characters in that are disturbed, but their actions are not quite as overtly villainous as the main character from Nightcrawler. But it's Exa- that same yeah. sense of... That there thing. is an underlying corruptive quality to them. That they... And in a sense, the fact that it is a slower burn actually lends that that almost 
horror-like quality to the proceeding. But that's not really what this is. Like, like none of the characters, we, have, we haven't really gotten any real death in any of the characters because there's only been one yeah. chapter. But there's nothing that seems particularly malicious about any single character in this, like any character at all. Like not even a maliciousness to the world well, itself. Like all, like all the characters, yeah, they just again, seem to be like I, high school I don't students. Think, yeah, and I, like I, that's what I'm saying. Flowers of Evil. I never felt that there was malice with no, any of the characters I encountered. Yeah, no, like not even a disturbed quality. It's just okay. Like, like, like the way that they're doing things is. Not, nothing that they do, nothing that they are, none of the situations they're involved in are disturbing or like, or like none, none, nothing the characters do is disturbing. Like, like, like when we first see our main character, he's kind of like walking down the road or whatever, and then a bunch of his friends kind of like jump from behind, like, hey, fucko, what's up? And he's kind of hanging out, you know, doing whatever, and they like pants him for a second, and it's just like, oh, just kids joking around and stuff. And then there's a girl in the class the main character likes, and then he sees her talking to a boy. He's like, hey, somebody's hitting on this girl over here, and then kind of ducks behind the shower a bit, just like snickering to himself. And then the girl comes up and is just kind of like joking back at him. Like, it's all very light and nothing really disturbing or like underlying creepiness okay. about any of it, except for the okay. mother. Because hmm. again, it's like, hey, yeah, so remember that? Remember that? I had a dream of, like this dead cat we fucking found. And it's like, oh my god, you remember that? Hey, let me hold you fucking get over here, you little shit. And it's all it's all really creepy. That bit is kind of off-putting. Because I don't know what I'm supposed to be feeling or what the character is supposed to be feeling in this. Hmm. And the way, and like the ending dialogue that they kind of have, it sounds like that kid might have killed that cat. Or been involved in the death somehow. I'm not, I'm not sure. And, well, that would fit with that would fit with the general tone of Flowers of Evil. Yeah, and so I'm not sure if it's uh, if it's a good or bad thing that I want to read a second chapter just to see if I can get any contacts. What the fuck is happening? Oh, believe me, I get that because like I was disturbed like five or ten minutes into Nightcrawler, but I still wanted to see how it played out. Yeah, like there's nothing particularly bad about any of this, like. Well, I, character-wise, they like like so the, the characters and stuff. They look fine. They look like this guy's art style, and anything that reminds me of like a like when I, when I said like some of the stuff reminds me of like stuff like the drifting classroom. I just meant in terms of, like movement and stuff. Like like when like when a when the main character's friend kind of jumps in and surprises them. Like hey, fuck up, what's up? He bounds in like somebody from the drifting classroom where where he just kind of is like one foot in front of the other. And he's just fucking two feet in the air. Because that's how people run. But that's fine. Like all the background stuff. Are, it's actually kind of interesting. Like all the backgrounds are, look like they're done with like hatching. Where like the guy had a the guy had what he wanted like the backgrounds look like in his mind, but instead of like drawing it out, like to be just kind of like hatched what they look like and had that be the backgrounds. And it looks it, it looks unique, not bad or anything. Like it looks, I think, pretty good, and it is a very unique style for doing backgrounds. Yeah, I just have no idea what the fuck is going on. That's normal for this writer. Yeah, sounds about right. Okay. 
Yeah, trailer like, blow. If I you am... want to get a sense of what Don't we're talking about, just, we... watch, just watch an episode of Flowers of Evil. Don't even watch the whole thing. Just watch an episode, and you'll see why none of the, what you've said surprises me. <laughs> yeah, and don't get me wrong. I don't think either of us necessarily mean that as a criticism. No, not really. Like, no. I will say this. Based on what I've seen, like, it's hard for me to comment on the landscape of manga publishing because I read far less manga than I do watch anime. But at least as far as anime is concerned, I don't know that I've ever seen something like Flowers of Evil. There is not really anything else out there that I can say is like that. Yeah. Okay. Like, I'm... I'm hard-pressed to think of anything else. I guess you could argue that maybe the works of Satoshi Kon kind of hit upon some of that similar atmosphere or character work, but even then, that's it's different. Uh-huh. So, yeah. Yeah, fuck, not even the goddamn, like, description of the fucking book Helps, helps me, like, helps, helps, like, says what the fuck this is. The description is, the illusion of that person leads me astray. Mother and son, this is the ultimate favoritism. What the fuck does that mean? (sighs) (laughs) Actually, I'll say this for this manga. He sure knows how to be pretentious without feeling like it's forced. Yeah, it is a like, sincere pretension to him. Yeah, there. It, it took me a second. I'm like, wow, that is really pretentious. And yet my default reaction was not, oh, God, that's pretentious. I, though, to be fair, I guess if it's earned and appropriate, it's not really pretentious. It's existential. Yeah, is it though? I think, um, no, I, th- I think it's kind of like... It, th- Based on his previous <sighs> works, I'm willing to assume that this is existential. If it proves to not be able to handle its own concepts, then it would become pretentious. What are its yeah, own but, concepts? Well, we haven't quite found that out yet. Yeah, like, particularly Flowers of Evil is narratively and emotionally dense with subtext and weird meanings and stuff you have to struggle through to kind of understand. So I would probably say the same would probably be true for Trail of Blood. With pretentious, you get into stuff like, uh, I guess like Psychopaths, where it thinks it's much smarter than it actually is. And it, while it has deep themes, it handles them with the subtlety of a, a grenade to the face. Anyway. Final thing. I went back and reread all of Witch Hunter. Oh, it finished? Nope. It went on hiatus and has not come back in like a year. Okay. I've read everything they've released so far. And I realized a very bizarre trend in this. Where 
so they so they, so I guess for those who don't know, uh, Witch Hunter is a Korean manga series where witches declared war on the world. It's all fucking horrible. There's a group of people called witch hunters who fight witches. There's a main guy. His name is Tasha. He has a supporter, like a little sidekick thing that is a pumpkin puppet that then turns into a lady who is actually the king of Britain. And a lot of the story is flashbacks. Like a lot of the story. And it's really weird, the pacing of it. Like, stuff taking place in modern day will last a few chapters. Like, I think the longest thing has been, like, 10 to 15 or so. In terms of, like, actual storyline stuff happening. Then you go, then you go back to, um, like, the flashback stuff. And that minimum 15 chapters. Well, like, 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 there's a there's a story like the storyline that's happening right now has lasted for like fucking twenty plus chapters, and we're about halfway through it. It is yeah. insane, How, like the fucking like the fucking split between what's actually happening and what's actually important and fucking flashbacks. And what's real terrible is there is no delineation between what's a flashback and what's happening in modern times. Like what's happening in the present. Oh, so like, like normally they, they transition well between them? Oh no. Like 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 usually when usually when you do a flashback, like the fucking borders around all of the window like the borders around all the panels and stuff will just compl- turn completely black. Or something like the dialogue will change, they will mention it, like have a little thing like saying, Hey, this this takes place fucking three days ago or fucking twenty years ago or some bullshit. In this, there is none of that. There is no change in what happens in, in what's happening in the past, what's happening in the present. So it can get a so it, so it can sometimes get a bit confusing, especially when they introduce a storyline about triplets. Oh goody! Yeah, that, well, that storyline's that storyline is thankfully over, so we don't have to deal with that. Now we are dealing with the backstory of Tasha. Which has been going on since like two years ago or something. It is insane how much time they spent just looking at what happened to this fucking kid. Like, yes, he is the main character, but there there is a point. There is a point where this becomes just too much. We've long like since passed that time. point. Well, do you get the sense that the writer is intentionally wasting time because they don't know how to end it, or that it's just the writer is so enamored with this storyline that they think you need to know every single detail, like a bad Stephen King story? I think it's the latter. Okay. Like, they've done enough setup for things. Like, like they there, there have been things that have been kind of, like, set up since the beginning, that have been coming to fruition and stuff. So I feel like he knows where the story is going. 
he just needed something to rival Roberta's blood trail in terms of length versus importance. <sighs> it's really a shame. Because I do like this series. Like, it has its problems. A lot of the characters have the same fucking face. Like, with the same fucking perma smirk on it. Uh, like I said, the pacing of it isn't particularly great. With the constant switching back and forth between the, like, between the, between, like, the flashbacks going at such a fucking snail pace and the rest of the series moving along at fucking breakneck speeds. Like, they introduce, they introduce Tasha and his supporter, and then three chapters later, change up that dynamic by having the supporter become a fucking person. Like, I thought that happened, I thought that happened, like, halfway through. Like, they have, like, have a bunch of fucking arcs and stuff with Tasha and his fucking pumpkin, and they introduce, and they introduce the fucking nega Tasha. Which 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 requires him to fucking turn which requires him to release one of the seals and turn the pumpkin into a person. Like, oh I figure that happens, you know, around like chapter fifty or something. That happened in chapter fucking five. And yeah, I If this series never comes back, I'm gonna be a bit miffed about it. Like because I just want to see what happened. Like I've spent I spent a good chunk of time with this fucking series. I need some kind of conclusion. Oh sure. I you, understand that. Even if just like fucking next chapter it comes back, it's like, alright, so that's the end of that fucking thing, because the witches have now destroyed the world. Everybody's dead. Fuck you. You know, like even series that got bad long before they ended, if you're if you've been reading them long enough, you're riding momentum and you just want to see how it ends. Because like Bleach got bad years before it ended. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Also, weird fucking thing, the numbering of the chapters. <coughs> because it goes from chapter 111 to 136. And they're not missing any chapters. That is the numbering order. Like, you read chapter 111, and then 136 is where chapter 111 ended. And there was no, like, there was no, like, time delay or something. It was just, it was just, all right, right, thank you for reading chapter 111. Join us next week for chapter 136. No explanation, just this is what it is. Fuck you. And I don't know why. There doesn't seem to be any, like, anything where... They like missed chapters or like ran stuff together that would require them to change the numbering. It's just they decided to change the numbering. <sighs> so that's Witch Hunter. I just want to just just fucking bring it back and wrap it up, please. The last chapter they released was in September. And there's been no word about what the fuck's happening to it. Anyway, that's all I got.
Not much in terms of news for this week. It's we're getting a manga about a kindergarten teacher named Mr. T. Sorry, an anime based on a manga about a kindergarten teacher named Mr. T. And Hayate the Combat Butler is ending. Oh, there's another thing I forgot just kept going. Yeah, my thought process was very much, that's still a thing? Yes, it is. It'll be ending in six more chapters in the 20th issue of Weekly Shonen Sunday going on sale April 12th. (sighs) <sighs> is that anything worth checking out? I would not know. I had forgotten that it existed. What, Hayate so, the Combat Butler? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's safe to say it's not up my alley. It's a it's, predominantly comedic yeah, it's series. Yeah, it's a gag action manga. The main character is a basically indestructible can do anything he wants butler for this precocious ridiculous eighth grader who is stupid rich and drags him to his school with all of her friends who are stupid rich some of whom are older and want to bang him like you do it's it's ridiculous. It's pop culture reference heavy, and it's funny on occasion, but it should not have like eight hundred chapters. <laughs> <sighs> What's the weird thing about gag manga? Because I guess some people find them funny because they just seem to go on forever. Oh, that actually reminded me of something. Something else I read that was so terrible I forgot I had read it. Mocking no daydreamer. It's one of those trapped in a fantasy world game like things where the main character is so fucking amazing and awesome that everybody wants to bone him. I feel like we've seen that before. Yeah, I couldn't tell you where. The only thing I've seen related to the, similar to that that I found was kind of an interesting idea was a deliberate spoof of the concept where the title is literally I saved too many girls and destroyed the world. <laughs> because the basic premise as far as I understand is this alien or this godlike being visits this main character from the future saying you have to you you can't go back in time you can't you're going to be encountered with all these situations where these girls are going to ask you to help ask you to help them and you can't help them because they will fall in love with you and the fight over you will lead to the destruction of the universe okay this isn't that this is closer to like a fucking Okay, well, so got a, a guy. He got a guy. He SAO. Yeah, actually, but it has but it has the setup of fucking Yojo Senki, kind of. Oh goody! And I, and I say kind yeah. of because it is he is reincarnated. Okay. Yeah, we got some. Oh, fucking so throw Konosuba into the mix as well. Yeah, it's some fucking 
college asshole who dies then gets reborn as a baby in this fantasy world where he is raised by a succubus. Yeah, Dead Man, I'm actively losing interest the more you talk about it, so just move on. Yeah, it's bad. It is generic. Main guy is terrible. It's boring as hell artwork. It also got me to reread the new gate again, which I still find fine. It's same kind of setup, but I find it just better. Like the artwork is more interesting. The story is better. All like he is like the main character is still a fucking Gary Stew, but he is better about it. Fuck, I don't know. That's it for this week. <laughs> we, we tend to end these on high energy. Yeah, totally. We are the bestest. We have the fucking most energy. The hypest shit on fucking SoundCloud or whatever. Uh, go watch an episode of Flowers of Evil. It'll cheer you up. Thank you all for joining us. Till next time I'm dead. I'm Cora. And I'm Birdie. Oh, fuck.